had this for one position, 1,000 applications, not make compromises. You should be really excited to meet that person. On a linear career path, eight to ten years to end up in such a position. One thing didn't change for me, and that is always searching for the passion of people. What is up, everyone? I'm your host, Chris, and you're listening to Nonlinear, the podcast in which we unpack these strategies, hacks, and decisions high-achieving young professionals using 2023 plus two design careers they love. In this episode, I speak with my friend Thomas Klein, with whom I sat next to the founder of Yodel, Alessio, during our time at the company. Thomas has followed a non-linear career path and by now made it to head of people at one of Europe's hottest scale-ups, PowerUs. Thomas leads us through scaling culture at such a company, hiring a talent, and then also retells his journey which is rather bottom-up, much in contrast to last week's episode with Ben Falk, who described the top-down journey. Let's dive right in. Thomas, you're like the most exciting people person I know. Your track record is stellar. Your journey to this, to becoming a head of people at PowerS uh, is also super interesting. Why don't you give us a quick description of what you currently do? And then let's dive into your journey. Yeah, thanks a lot. I see myself still in the middle of a, a huge learning journey. So yeah, currently I'm working at PowerUs as head of people. Usually I join startups when they start scaling, when they raced around, for example. I did this several times and it's the same here at PowerUs at the moment. We raised Series B. I built up the HR team from recruiting to people partnering, everything in the employee lifecycle. And yeah, now we are growing the company. That's what I love to do. How is this currently? Like you seem to be one of the few companies who's actually raising a massive round and who's actually thriving in this climate even or in the current market landscape. Is there a tangible difference from your previous gig to this gig right now? Or what, what do your colleagues say at their companies? What's the difference right now at, the, at these firms? Yeah, I think the market changed definitely, especially for, for startups that were looking for funding. You know, it's now much more focused on businesses that have obvious reason to exist and can also make money at one point. So I think in that combination, we are focused on skilled blue color worker, where it's definitely a shortcoming on the market, especially for the energy transition. That's one massive point that we are checking. And then the other thing is also already making good revenue. So those two elements, I think they were very convincing to the investors. And yeah, I know that I'm very lucky at the moment uh, being in such a company with that market position. Yeah, I've seen other things before. I'm hearing a lot from other HR friends, colleagues in the market. And I'm very happy that I'm at the company where we can focus on scaling in a sustainable way. And what's the, what kind of challenge do you currently face at PowerUs? What are you currently dealing with or building or like, yeah. Yeah, for me, it's always important to put HR into a position where you can really generate value for the organization. It's not just, let's do some events, let's make the office nice, let's, I don't know, yeah, just typical HR things. That's not how I emphasize the whole topic. For me, it's always really important to understand the stage of the company, what's the strategy, what's the goal for the company, and then I build my HR strategy based on that. And when I started in February this year, it was a clear goal. That was when we were about, or when we were thinking about maybe to raise the next round, but that didn't start at that point. It was just like, hey, we have money already on the bank account. We're making good revenue. We want to scale the company. So based on that, I, I built up the HR team with four recruiters now. One person started just this week. 
So we have four people there, then on, on people operations side and office and, and other HR admin topics. That's what we're covering right now. I'm personally focusing more on basically, I say, making managers to become a better manager. So mm -hmm. I'm supporting, supporting them with direct advisory, let's say. Mm -hmm. So that's the full spectrum. But I'm very much focusing on the things that are needed to scale the company. I'm not focusing on things where I would say maybe I have my personal favorite topics, yeah, learning and development, org design. I could fully go into that, but that's not that much needed at that point. You want to find the best talents in the market. You want to build up teams and scale the company. You want to have a great onboarding experience and you want to have a kind of people operation system that's running like a Swiss watch, let's say. So that's where I'm focusing on. And once those things are in place and running very well, now you can then focus more on the later later parts, let's say, in the employee life cycle. So it's for me always very important to not jump on topics that might sound more fancy, more strategic relevant, <clears throat> just from the buzzwords, but to really narrow down your strategy, your HR strategy from what the company needs and what the people needs around you. Yeah, makes sense. And right now, this is more systems you said, right? So basically hiring the teams that you can hire and then maintain the entire flow of payments, even flow of, I don't know, like what else? Yeah, hi hiring people. We have here and there topics like hiring people international to build up a, a legal safe system for that, but also implementing proper engagement survey tools for that. There were a lot of things. And that's usually how it is. And I think that's okay. Many things were self-built until someone comes in and has the experience to build scalable systems from a self-built engagement survey to having culture amp as a tool running those surveys in a, on a regular base and also doing something with it that's what i'm right now doing for example we're running or we're running a bigger survey until end of september and then i created an, an overview and we defined the most impactful things that we should focus on right now And that's what I'm executing now. So working on the action plan and basically doing the actions. So, Yeah, that's what I just wanted to ask. Because like when you joined Power Us, I guess you were probably, and that's a rough guess, probably around 60 or 70 people. 50 to 60. And now with yet some new starters this week, and then there will be a few more in about two, two weeks again. And then we are already 120 people. Me so measuring culture is quite obvious right so you just basically plug the culture m survey in there and you're like okay how happy is everyone how engaged is everyone maybe some there's also some word analysis by now in there and um, but like how do you actually make sure that the culture which or like how do you think about this the culture which made power so which with which julian and conrad probably started back then in their dorm like how do you think about this evolvement of culture and of what it means like to contribute to a company and how does this shift like over The very first stage, I think you've also been at super small startups and then to the second stage of 30, 40 people, series A, and then to even go further than that, like to a hundred plus. Yeah, there are things you want to keep and maintain and highlight in the culture and there are things you cannot stop. So I also just had a conversation with another colleague who is with the company, I think now for about three years and he said, hey. How can we basically maintain that aspect of the early days and, and power us, which was basically 
knowing everyone, knowing about the private life, about everyone, having this very motivated and close culture where a few people became friends, I guess. This is, I think, how it started with many early stage startups. But what I had to tell him, hey, look, we are now about 120 people. You are not even able to remember all the names anymore. So that's slowly that point where it breaks up. We <clears throat> also got a, a new floor in the same building. We have now basically three floors you know, where the people are sitting. We have a huge bunch of people working remotely. It's just not possible anymore to see everyone every day. And that changes a lot. Those things you can usually not stop when you scale a company. That's It becomes a bit more, or let's say, less familiar setup, which is, I think, also good because I would not say we need to become family. We are a team. We need to be a high-performing team. And you need to build systems and, and processes in a way that you are able to support people in, in different circumstances. Because when you are sitting together with 20 people in the same room, information flow, updating each other, discussing topics quickly on the side to yeah, proceed with your projects, all those things are way easier and go way faster. And now this is not only now, but already in the scaling before from 60 to 80, 90, yeah, you realize as quickly that those things are not that easily possible anymore. So you need to detect them. And then you need to tackle them and build something for it to solve it again. And this I had to tell that colleague, for example, yeah, look, things we can maintain and still do for sure. We should come together as a team. We should celebrate. We should keep each other updated for sure. But this aspect of having this family feeling, friends feeling, this unfortunately, yeah, in his case, unfortunately will not stay. It seems like outside in at least because uh, we also have another mutual friend uh, at PowerS. Um, who told me about your offsite now in, I guess it was Mallorca or something. So it yeah. seems like you're still investing a lot in, uh, or a lot into this, into actually building a kind of a, a really good team where you also have some non-work experience together. Yeah, absolutely. This is what you have to do. You need to bring the people together to strengthen the feeling of belongingness and, and Yeah, putting everyone together, discussing important things. Major part of the time also Mallorca was spent on discussing strategy updates and yeah, coming together was not just, yeah, here we are in a great location, let's just have fun. I think that's also important to have a, a good agenda, which is not too packed, but yeah, has a structure to fully leverage also such an investment. Yeah. Hey, Thomas, when I look at your LinkedIn, like you've worked at, I think for, you founded several companies, you founded an HR meetup, you've worked for a couple of companies and did freelance gigs for even more. And two last questions to power us before we go really into this, like compared to all of these stations, do you see any difference in working for a YC backed company? Kind of, like, do you have differences in how the company operates, what principles you, you use, etc.? Compared to, I worked at agencies that were just scaling with their, with their own revenue, so in a slower pace, let's say, but agency business is also sometimes comparable to startup business, can also a lot about up and down. You have a big client is gone, you have to let go a few people, there's a mm. new big client, you have to scale fast, but it's not VC-backed. And I also worked at uh, corporate startups backed by huge German corporates where they just throw money on, on that whole thing. But we also scaled the company in, in nine months to from zero to 80 people. So there are things that are similar and there are things that are 
maybe a bit different, but I think in the end, it really depends on the founders, how they see that, how transparent they want to make it. I've seen founders where the whole fundraising topic, the, the individual steps, the failures and the successes in the end, they were all very transparent and all managed also in a way that the company could really look into it. But I know that there are also founders say, hey, fundraising is, is nothing for the whole organization. That's the, the role of the CEO has to take care of that. And it's only about getting money. And then the money needs to be used to scale the company. <clears throat> I think good founders, they keep that world also a bit on one side away in a way that VCs should not be too much involved into the daily business. I think there can be also investors who say, hey, now you have to do this and that. And then the company runs into a direction where usually you would say that doesn't make sense. That's the, the healthy part of holding that area away from the daily business. But on the other side, I found it super interesting to know which investors are interested. What are they looking at? What's important for an investor to invest in the end? Uh, it's supported or managed also a series B due diligence from a legal and HR side. So was very interested into that to learn more. I was shocked at the same time because they're not really interested in the game-changing parts, in my opinion. But I think that's that's the current situation. But I still found it very fascinating to learn. How, more how do you mean this? How do you mean this? They're not interested in the game-changing parts. When I look at factors why startups are failing, and as we know, yeah, most of the startups are failing. For me, I see that very often in those listings, I see human factors. And also when I talked in past years to very senior people on C-level and companies and startups that failed, and I was talking to them because from a from an HR perspective, I, maybe I want to hire them. I was talking to them, hey, what happened there? Such a successful company. And then I said, yeah, we, we couldn't scale fast enough. We weren't able to acquire that market fast enough, whatever. And then the whole calculation went shit, basically, and we had to let it go. So things like that, plus that what you can read in official studies. For me, the human factor plays a crucial role. Also, just from the perspective, imagine once the money comes to your bank account, the major part of it usually goes into the people. You scale the company, you have to pay the payroll. That's where the money goes. But in the end, when I look at the questionnaires that you're getting sent from investors, HR is not really topic in there. They mm. believe, especially in the earlier days, they believe in one or two or how, how many founders you have. Maybe they want to see one or two CVs from the executive level, but that's it. They are not really involved in the daily business. And as I mentioned, that might also make sense. But other than that, they are not really investigating into checking, is there a proper system in place that brings you to that stage where you want to go to scale the company in a sustainable way. Um, for me, luckily, the times changed a bit. When I started my HR career, I was already seeing similar aspects in the market. Here, it was still very in vogue, let's say, to hire only very junior HR person who took, takes care of office management, HR admin. And this is where yeah, those kind of rocket startups maybe in that time started to scale. And here also the, yeah, the, the market changed a bit. Still, I think from a due diligence perspective, I think you could do more. You could do more investigation, data tracking, and just a small, let's say, interviews, things like that, talking to a few crucial people just to see if there's a 
kind of healthy culture? Because also, as you mentioned it, how do you scale the culture, for example, if your culture is not good in a smaller stage, let's say, how should that be scaled then? You're scaling a toxic culture in the worst case. And if I would invest that money, I would like to know that. And I know that founders, for example, can pitch and present you many things that are, of course, that's a pitch you presented in the best way. But I would look deeper into that before I invest money. Yeah, probably particularly or how I would think about is particularly pre-product market fit. So if you do not yet, if you cannot yet, like in quote unquote, blindly scale, then the input of the team becomes even more critical, right? So because I think most, the, the number one reason why companies or why startups fail is in the market, right? So they build something which people don't want or don't need. And then they fail. And then in, le in the like longer term or mid midterm, then something might actually come up. Okay, the, we couldn't scale fast enough or we imploded culture-wise. Yeah, I was just thinking, didn't build the right product, for example, or not the right product at the right time. You could also say, if you have the right people, you can always do a pivot and find the right pain points and build something that's really needed. But yeah, with having maybe closed-minded people on board uh, or a structure where it's not allowed to speak up and change things or challenge things in a proper way, yeah, then you're just executing maybe in the wrong direction and you burn the money. So that's also how you could see it. Yeah. Hey, maybe even a couple of more questions before we then go into the second block. So how do you think about how's hiring people right now and how do you think about hiring a talent? Like you just said exactly this, like you need a top team which can maybe even which hopefully can contribute on a product level even, particularly in product-led companies um, and or like in product-based companies. And like, how do you go about hiring those people right now? So is it an easier market climate? Is it more difficult? And then, of course, what do you look out for in those interviews? You've probably done like 500, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 interviews in your entire life. I don't know, 10,000. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Definitely in the yeah, past eight to 10 years, quite a few. But I think there's the one thing didn't change for me, and that is always searching for the passion of people. Yeah, that's something truly believe in. I want to know. I, I don't care from office management to CTOs, all the types of people I've talked to. I always want to understand why are you doing what you are doing. So, what's driving you basically? And this never changed for me. That's always very important. And currently, I think there's, of course, for startups that are hiring, the market seems to be better and is also better. But still, the challenge to find absolute top talents is still a challenge. So <clears throat> what I also heard, and yeah, f finding the absolute top talents in the market is, is might be a bit easier, but still is a challenge because you want to find those raw diamonds in the market, basically, and they are still raw. Um, so what I heard in another podcast and I found really interesting is that before those kind of, let's call it a, a crisis in the startup market with a lot of layoffs and also yeah, companies have, have to shut down. Before that happened, we had easy money in the market, a lot of money in the market. So also companies that were not successful and were not at no point basically able to be long-term successful, they were able to hire great talent because they had the money. They could just throw money on people and they got good talent, let's say in a, in a not very promising company. Now those companies are dying at the moment. So that's a kind of consolidation in the market. 
that means that for the companies that can be really successful, now for them it's easier to find those talents because they are not gone to companies that are just throwing money on them. But still finding those talents is a challenge and convincing them because also the candidates in the market, they are more selective now because of all those crises and, and, and companies that are scaled like crazy, like rockets, and then had to let go 20, 30, 40% of the, of the people. People are now very selective when it comes to that. They challenge you more. You need to have better answers maybe than before. Here also, again, it's not enough to just have a pitch. They want to see numbers. They want to see maybe your runway. And they want to know where you're standing. And even on a junior level, people would challenge that. And now I think that's a great development because mm-hmm. you want to have people that think like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but it's still a challenge. But we see definitely top funnel, higher income of applications. Still, we need to find the right ones for, for our stage and our product. Hey, and how do you now hire these A players? Like what are like maybe even a tangible takeaway for us in this podcast, what do you look out for and how do you measure it and how do you make sure that it's real, right? Maybe what are the top, I don't know, one to three factors? Yeah, just from a recruiting process perspective, knowing really well what you are looking for in the first place to be able to ask the right questions. So we have very dedicated scorecards before we even kick off a role, we we sit together and define them. So we really want to know why do you want to hire that role on that seniority level in that current stage? So we go really deep on that. And then we des- we design basically our, our interview questions according to that. That's for me always key because otherwise it can be just nice conversation. Yeah, and maybe you ask the right question. Maybe you know more about that person in the end, but it's not a professional recruiting process for me. So that's very important. Then just really challenging someone on, on crucial aspects. If you ask someone, why do you want to change jobs, for example, don't be just satisfied with the first answer you get. Go deep on that. You don't need to bother someone to get out maybe information where the person feels uncomfortable about sharing that. That's not what I mean. But just go deep. Five whys, basically. Why go, go deep. And this, this you can practice basically on anything. Not about not only about the reason why someone now wants to come to your company, but maybe also why did you do that project in that way? Why uh, did you choose to become a product manager at one point? Uh, go deep on that. You that's what I mean when I want to learn more about the passion and the drive of a person. It's not just I'm asking what's your passion. No, I'm going deep on the things. And when people explain me those aspects, the level of detail, the self reflection in it, how they maybe say. Uh, Two years ago, I did this and that. It ended up not as expected. I learned a lot. And then a year later, I went in a totally different direction. And I said, oh, nice. That's something I can, I can feel in a conversation when someone is really reflected and can think about their own habits and patterns and then yeah, learn something new because that's what you want. And this is also where we try to design questions also according to our culture and values. So because those elements are important for us, so we are not just asking, have you used that coding language for two years and then, ah, okay, check next. And do we somehow think that person could fit? No, we need, we really need to be convinced in the end. We're measuring lots of aspects through different people in the process. It's end to end, fully designed. And then we, we communicate, calculating everything together, basically, and then see 
if this person could be a fit or not. So that's where I would say you should not make compromises, even though it would feel easy at the moment with getting all those applications, easily hiring someone, still you should not make compromises. You should still search for a person that you, where you are really excited. When that person signs and is about to start, you should be really excited to meet mm -hmm. that person in your company. And how do you go about nonlinear applications? If you don't have the CV, which is years <clears throat> of ABC, whatever. I think your founders didn't even do the, for Germany, very long, typical consulting. Like Julian or Konrad, they went straight from WHU, I think, into, the, into YC. And neither did Alessio, the former founder, which actually both of us worked for. So like you've actually worked for nonlinear first-time founders themselves. So how does this apply then to hiring people and how do you look at the process? Yeah, sometimes you could, from outside view, there might be many applications that, that look like that. You still need to find the, the true gems that you're looking for. When you get, uh, we, we had this for one position, 1,000 applications. Yeah, you cannot talk to every person. You need to set some criteria, top, top funnel to then really talk to a few. But in general, I'm fully for that. Yeah, I, when you have this, this straight career from studying something in a direction, then doing an internship in that area, I think it's might be even more seldom case at the moment that more and more people go that way, especially in the startup area. You went from, I don't know, from a sales job to, to product development job. So you go that way and that's already nonlinear. There are many jobs that we are looking for in, a, in the startup area might be less linear than you would assume. Of course, there are some hard facts that are sometimes needed, especially when it comes, or you, you always need to evaluate from a company perspective. Am I hiring someone for a job that no one else can do in that company? So we have also no one that can teach that person. So you want to have someone on board that brings specific knowledge to your company. Then you are looking for that. Or are you hiring someone in a position where you have maybe already great talents on board and you just look for personality, you just look for a cultural match mm -hmm. and then all the other things can be teached basically. So that depends a bit on the maturity and the setup of your different teams. But yeah, in general, it's also my career where I'm looking at and say, hey, I'm fully convinced by a topic. I want to drive that and I'm going crazy about it. You have seen it in my LinkedIn. So I'm, of course, also, I'm open to that. I'm, I look from a different angle on those series. Yeah, let's now go into this part, which I personally find super exciting about you. Um, can you just lead us through your beginnings? Like, how did you, like, when we basically open up your LinkedIn, scroll down, and we start looking through all of the stations, it's, yeah, it just now says 15 experiences, right? So it's so <laughs> much. So how did you start? How did you move into this entire freelancing thing, which of course right now I think gets quite attractive also. And yeah, then how did you design your career to basically come up where you were? Like last week I spoke with Ben Falk in an episode who did like a journey from mid 20 or he's already in his mid 20s in LA and works for McKinsey or worked at McKinsey as an engagement manager, quit his job now. And he followed this value-based career design roadmap which was more like a top-down framework. And how it seems like you designed more bottom-up. 
Yeah, that just started with my one of my first jobs where I quickly understood basically the world in HR, especially. I started business psychology, bachelor, master's. So for me, that was very obvious. I want to go into that, that HR field. So let's maybe compare how would a linear career look in that space would be you would start maybe as a HR admin, office manager person. After one year, maybe you step into a recruiting area. You can also come from recruiting. Those are the starting points. And then after two, three years, you are more broader view generalist in that area. And if the company scales and you are in the right position at the right time, you can grow with the company. And suddenly you are more the HR business partner. After five, five six, seven years, maybe you have the opportunity to become a manager and you can lead the team. And then after eight or 10 years, yeah, you start to become this head of HR, maybe at one point VP people person, but it would take you on a linear career path. Yeah. Maybe eight to 10 years to end up in such a position. Maybe if, let's say at least five years. So that's also when you look at job descriptions, they look for people uh, with the, those at least amount of years and experience. So for me, I was looking different on that whole topic. I was also not looking on the topic like I want to become a head of VP at one point. I was working with a totally different system called Holacracy, where there are no official managers. This is a totally different system. But what I learned is that all those individual pieces for the employee lifecycle, like recruiting, onboarding, performance, feedback, and so on, you should design maybe in a different way. You should design them in a way how the people in your environment need them. So... I was just challenging the whole system. And then I learned quickly that there are not many people out there, even the most experienced people, let's say, they are following more the traditional approaches of performance management, of recruiting and so on. And I want to do it differently. Again, because I saw the market from a different angle with those investors' perspectives where I saw, hey, so many things going wrong. Why is no one trying it in a different way? So that's when I started thinking in a different way, approaching those topics from a different angle, more with a user-centered approach. And my users are the employees in the company, more with a product development approach. I want to learn and understand what they need. I built those processes more like that. They are never finished. They are never in a, in a place where I say I can fully let them go, still need to iterate on them and so on. That was one just practical aspect, how I treat those topics. Then I, I was looking for other people that were like-minded in that direction. And then we started that meetup group, New Work Berlin, which has then become at one point the biggest German-speaking meetup group for the topic of new work. Wow. So that, and that was also something just, I, I don't know how it ended up there because we didn't start it with the goal to become the biggest group. We just started with, hey, we are motivated by those topics. We are truly interested and learning more about that. And we want to develop things in a way as maybe no one else is doing. And that was like a magnet that pulled all the people together because yeah, it was just fascinating topic and it's still, and then suddenly you get a lot of invitations left and right. People hear about you, you get recommended by someone. And what I did, especially at that time was just being open, networking, talking to people, meeting for lunch and for coffee chats, for example. And I was never really pitching a service to someone. I did never cold outreaches to, to someone. 
that was more like, hey, you want to learn something or most of the times I wanted to learn something. Mm-hmm. And I, I just told them my perspective on things. And then I said, oh, that's interesting. Hey, what do you think? Maybe we should work together on that specific topic here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really want to see how you tackle that. And then, uh, yeah, why not? Let's do it. And uh, to be honest, in the beginning, I didn't even charge for some things. It was more like, I'm so fascinated about a topic. I just want to do it. Let me mm-hmm. do it. And we were jamming about topics and brainstorming and developing processes <clears throat> until a certain moment when someone said, hey, what you do is, is true value. You should also charge something for it. It's totally <laughs> normal. And, yeah, okay, maybe. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, How long ago was this? How long ago was this, Thomas? Like at what stage are we basically talking about? Like Seven, eight years ago. So around about that time. And yeah, of course, then at one point was with this, when you mentioned that I, that I founded also something, this was also more, I have this idea about a different approach when it comes to people development. I met that guy and he said, hey, really interesting. I have this other idea and it matched. And then we built a company together with a product that was focusing on people development. Through the journey, I learned that I'm not a typical founders person. I, I, I found my passion in HR and it was Uh, also, at that point, I was saying there are so many people out there in this world that work in a job where they would not say that they are passionate about it. And that's it. And that's sad, but that's the reality. I found my passion in those HR topics. Why should I now work in a role that's not really yeah, hitting my passion? So I stepped back from that founder's role and went back basically into interim head of people positions, full-time head of people, permanent positions, all those type of things consultant advisor for corporate startups, early stage startups, VC backed startups, the full portfolio basically. Yeah. Until today where I'm again in a permanent position, fully focusing on powers and, and scaling that company. Um, what was your first gig? Like at, I think at another conversation you, which we had last week an informal one, you mentioned that this entire journey of finding yourself or creating your path more or less took a year more or less. So do some freelance projects, organize the meetup. And at what point did you then start to monetize and what was the very first gig? The very first gig, well, there were gigs, as I, as I said, where I didn't charge uh, anything, but the first gig was more than also driven by getting money because it was when I was at that founder role and we had no, no VC on board at that time. So it was more like... Uh, Yeah, bootstrapped and I had to take care of my own spending. So at one point I, I realized, okay, now I need to make some money. And I, I did some headhunting topics left and right because people still knew me as that guy who's really interested in the, in the deepest motivation of people. So I was good in, in building up those connections to people and really find top talents already at that time on CTO level, for example, this is where I placed a few roles on, on CTO level uh, that gave me some runway again. And then I ended up in, in more broader consulting gigs where I was yeah, most interesting positions were when I was interim head of people, diving into healthcare product, understanding that market, and then building up an HR team or structures for those kind of companies to scale or going into I don't know, a totally different type of company, seeing those different Industries is what I also really enjoy, jumping into those new fields, understanding again what they need and how I can basically 
support them to become a successful company with my HR knowledge. This is, this is how I see it. I want to learn about the industry, about the company, about the stage, and then I bring in my ideas and we, we build that together. Thomas, to now slowly also close the interview off, I have a couple of remaining questions, uh, burning questions, actually. So number one is, what is it like to have worked with a couple of young, extreme and first-time founders, as we mentioned it already before, like Julian and Konrad, Alessia from Jodl, like what's your takeaway from this experience, which is surely great, yeah? Yeah, I think the most fascinating and, and, and uh, exciting part is that you, in that role as a head of people, you need to become a strategic partner to them. You need to build up a, a huge base of trust, basically, and then you learn together, you fail together, you go through that. It's what I really like is when they realize that they that, that baby, that company that they created is scaling suddenly. And from one to the other day, it feels as at least like that. They see from 20 to 100 people, they see, oh man, that's, that's the company we created. And what I see is the, is the people. So that's, and that's always also for them. It's the first time to see that it's when we hire another person and we are not 50, but then 51, 52, 53, and it goes on. With every additional person, it becomes a kind of new company and that's their company. And that's the biggest change that they also see and realize. And that's, that's super interesting to see how they develop, how they are also fascinated by that, that scale that the company can reach at one point. And I really like that to be that, that close advisor, that partner, basically that does that basically with them together. So you've worked with many founders now, with first-time founders, with second-time founders, and also with people who are not even founders, but just run the company. Do you see differences I, in how they operate? Absolutely. The passion about the product, <laughs> the true passion. When I've worked with, let's say, the executives, the managing directors of companies <clears throat> that haven't really founded the product, but were just hired for that position, They can do a nice pitch. They can explain the logical reason why that, that product exists, but that's not the same compared to, let's say, a founder who really founded that product, that idea, because that person saw the struggle on the market and said, hey, we need to solve that issue now on the market. And that's the product I created for that. That's a different story. Those founders who are product founders, basically, they live for that product for that. That's really interesting to see. It's very much convincing for hiring. It's, it's really cool to see that developing. And that's a huge difference. Do you have any anecdote, like where you were like in your life, where you've worked for, for one of those founders, the product founders, and then you were like, oof, this is crazy. What is currently doing? Yeah. Or she? That's for me, yeah, with, with Yodel, that was very fascinating. When we were talking, for example, with, with Alessio and she said, hey, how he started with the idea of Yodel being in a place, wanted to connect to people around him, and there was no solution for that. Many social media solutions already out there, but not really a solution to do exactly that right now for a specific topic, finding people around him. And that's how he started that idea. And it's not so much about the, the idea itself, but the, the thought process and just about this emotions that are also transported in that communication then. So you, you really feel it. There was a strong belief that this is the thing you need to do now. And then they just did it. That's what I personally take always very as a strong aspect also for my personal co uh, conviction, basically. 
but also when I want to convince others in interviews and it, it helps a lot. Nice. Yeah. Hey, now really final questions. Like, how do you look at the future of work at GPT, at LLMs, hybrid remote work? Like, how is the future of work landscape currently shifting? Is there any reasonable thing you can say? Or are you like, man, this is too broad, no idea? <laughs> Definitely very broad. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the hybrid topic will stay in a way. There's a bigger move now that companies try to bring people back into the office. I think it will stay for most of the companies in a hybrid way. But other than that, I think it's very shaky at the moment, still the market. It feels yeah, we are flying in a plane with turbulences at the moment, heavy turbulences, and we need to wait until that the turbulences are over and then things will settle again. And then I think we can set good foundation for the next stage. Cool. Then two last questions. What's the most valuable learning you've caught up recently? Especially in those times when you scale a company, I have a lot of people would agree it's not such a fancy learning, but focus is key. <laughs> Definitely focus, saying no to things again and again, because you can do so many things, especially when you're passionate about topics, staying focused is key. And very last question, what's the alter alternate career path you would take if you weren't in tech and startups and you couldn't <laughs> fail? Let's do that. You couldn't fail. This is always nice. A job in, I would say, mechanical job working on motorbikes that okay, nice. was when i was a when i was self driving a driving a motorbike i always said i want to go in that direction thomas thank you very much for this early morning chat and really looking forward to seeing where power us and you are going in the next years thank you christian thanks for listening to nonlinear if you like the content subscribe to this podcast on spotify follow me on linkedin or twitter that's at i am krishi three three is the number and krishi with s c h i Reach out on any of the platforms if you have comments, questions, or just want to chat.